how is it an impossible feat to try to maintain the best interest rate for a population or the best who is the the man behind the curtain of the wizard of oz to determine how what the supply flow of money should be at any given point in time and how we should measure the cpi and what basket of goods and how we should change the weights from this quarter to that i mean it, it it's so precarious and so nonsensical it, it, it it's such it's such a dance in futility that uh it's it's almost like thank thankfully we can look at blockchain as an actual logical consistent and viable solution to something that we were grasping at in in the dark before and now we can see with a transparent light something that is more efficient and a, a better tool welcome to specific knowledge a podcast dedicated to exploring how people coordinate and build a dynamic world where knowledge is distributed and ephemeral. With a focus on creative destruction and the role of blockchain as a decentralizing technology, we discuss new ways to reimagine and reshape the current social order. I'm joined by my friends Lucas and Ryan, two experts in their field. Today's topic is the democratizing power of blockchain. All right, welcome guys. Uh, week two, we did it. How are you? Oh, uh, doing good. How are you doing, Devin? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing really well. How about you, Lucas? I'm doing, I'm doing well, brother. It's great to be here. Good, good. Um, so today's topic is, um, and it's kind of contentious a little bit between us, I guess, and, and we'll get to that. But uh, the theme is the democratization of Bitcoin or of blockchain. Um, and so we'll we'll get into that in a second. But I think we first need to qualify ourselves a little bit uh, and, and talk about our experience with blockchain. Uh, so if you guys wanted to get started, uh, starting with Lucas, uh, tell us how you got started in, in blockchain and um, we'll, we'll get to the main chunk of this uh, discussion in a little bit. Sure. Uh, as we talked about last time, Ryan and I, we we just have a shared love for actually we talk about democracy, uh, studying phronesis, social systems, political systems, and, and how they apply to um, a resource allocation specifically and economics and human action and decision making. So, so democracy and and how um, social institutions impact decision making and you know the resource allocation has always been a passion of ours beyond Bitcoin and blockchain. Uh, having been involved in learning about blockchain, teaching about blockchain's role in the economy for a few years, as I understand it, and studying it uh, actually alongside with with Ryan, we have a website wisebeyondbitcoin.com that we're building out as a DeFi hub. Um, but it, you know, we love talking about our our our, our desires is beyond never financial advice, but it, it's more to talk about the impact and the role that blockchain technology has with how we uh, form our institutions, how we voluntarily create, you know, these democratic or these social structures that are all man-made and how this technology is going to impact and has the ability to impact 
um, how, and I guess what I will get into later, I don't want to drag it on, but what I'm excited about is why it should impact. You know, if, if you see that fire has been discovered and, and you see that people are cold in certain times of the year, then you want to go tell people, Hey, this can be used to heat a home and let me show you how. So part of what we like to really uh, delve in with you and talk about this is, is, is really just ex experimenting, uh, with, with our thoughts and looking at those projects that are innovative out there and just kind of being a part of the discussion of where blockchain is able to and innovate how we uh, co coordinate society and, and how we communicate. So uh, I'll, I'll leave I'll leave that as my my qualification if, if there was any uh, in there. Uh, I mean, well said, Luke. Great. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? Well, uh, my background, as Lucas alluded to, uh, was also in economics and political uh, science in school. So I, that was that was what I was into. And then when Bitcoin, well, 2008 housing crisis was was a big focus. And then when Bitcoin came out a, a year or two later, I was I was turned on to it by because I like to follow libertarian um, thinkers and social media personalities and more then than now. But uh, I was deep into it then. And there was a lot of talk about it. It was it was a topic, a hot topic in that time because of it's, it's an alternative currency. This is showing this is like a proof of concept that something we've been theorizing about for for people have been theorizing about for decades. And I had just been reading about for like you know a few years, and I thought it was fascinating to see a uh, an example of something in theory that that I had been thinking about actually coming to life, an alternative, right? And so I uh, I didn't jump into into actually becoming an uh, an investor. I didn't buy any Bitcoin. I didn't, I didn't get into it initially, like I should have looking back on it because of the technological hurdle of like, which wallet, which, how, how to buy it, where, you know, what exchange and ATM, you know, local Bitcoins, like I didn't know how to navigate any of this. So it, it, there was years that went by where it was just Lucas and myself and our friends sitting around talking about blockchain, talking about decentralization and and uh, monetary competition and these in these these theories from economics and applying all this and, and thinking about envisioning a world where the blockchain would revolutionize how we actually not just spent money but um you know organized all kinds of concepts uh, public goods you know welfare you know everything was up on the table we, would, we had great conversations and then that spilled into us uh getting a chance to speak at u of h uh, before a couple, um, an audience or two audiences. And that was fun. And then right along that time, we were, we were getting into, you know, buying it and investing. And we get, jumped in both feet at that point after talking about it long enough. And then that snowballed. And when we found in, we found out about wise token, that was really another turning point was when wise token, we, when discovered that we, the launch, the uh, liquidity transformer phase, we, we got in on it early and, and it was just something we believed in and we wanted to spread because of how, because of how sound that the underlying structure of this is right and we can talk about that later but the smart contract and it's audited and all that and um the locked liquidity so wise was the next big step and uh then that just kind of brings us to today that's everything's uh, been flowing from that right we've got a youtube channel we've met met some great people and and here we are yeah and and wise is actually how we met um for those of you who don't know i'm uh, uh, one of the core members of the Wise Token team. I'm not here to really promote it, or but to talk about the technology behind it because I, I do, and I think Lucas and Ryan agree with me, uh, as you just heard, that it is uh, it is an innovative step in in something much bigger. Uh, but but my background uh, a little bit <laughs> similar to you guys. Um, it was back in like 2013. My friend and I, uh, Josh, um, we wanted to 
mine Bitcoin. And my mom, we were in high school at the time. My mom goes, absolutely not. I've heard all the, you know, the drugs stuff and the Silk Road. And, and so we're like, oh. so we just spend years again, talking about it, not really knowing how to do anything with it. And 2016 rolls around and we're like, hey, let's, you know, Coinbase is this thing that's come out. It's pretty easy. Um, it's not as uh, uh, terrifying or, or scary because you, it's a, Coinbase was kind of a trusted company back then, even more so. And so we, yeah, started to get in through there and, um, you know, it went up in 2017, 18, came back down. And during that time, I just, it was a lot of learning on my part, probably spend, I'm not going to lie, probably 12 hours a week on something uh, that had to do with reading about blockchain because I was just so fascinated in, uh, with it. And um, yeah, ended up writing a, a book on decentralized processes, organizations, and, and just the idea of decentralization really um, stuck with me and, and fascinated me. Uh, and yeah, during the pandemic, um, I saw that uh, Peter was building this thing, this project called Wise Token and reached out to him. I, we had similar military backgrounds. I, I was not in the military, but my family was. He is in the military, um, Army specifically. I think we shared the same work ethic and, and values. And um, yeah, and, and we, we hit it off and you know started working together. And so the thing we've built, I, I'm, I'm very proud of, and um, we're not going to stop for sure. So um, we, we all, I think all of us here to, uh, speak pretty regularly with uh, industry experts, uh, and it's just always on the top of our mind blockchain. So um, let's move into, and, and I'm very excited for this conversation. Why is blockchain and is it, and maybe we need to define the word first, but uh, the democratization of blockchain. Is blockchain uh, a, a democratic or a democratizing technology? And so I'll, I'll leave it to you guys because um, before this call, we were, we were kind of discussing it a little and I wanted to save it for, for the podcast. So um, if Ryan or Lucas, if you guys wanted to start uh, with, with your perspective, I think that would be uh, pretty advantageous. Well, I'd like to continue off um, with, with the qualification and, and it kind of leads into this, what you're saying, Devin, because one thing I left out that Ryan and I were also a part of back in, around 2017, 2018 in our, in our early uh, crypto blockchain, just really when we started immersing ourselves in it directly was a voice and exit with someone you like to mention Max Borders, who, uh, oh, he's wearing a shirt right now. So um, voice and exit is um, how we we apply using uh, this new technology to uh, having a voice where we have the opportunity to exit those systems that are no longer relevant or serving. Because if 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 you don't have the option to exit something, then that's uh, that's kind of a system of enslavement, and it creates a moral hazard, right? Where decision making can be made knowing that. Uh, there's a, a level of payment that we'll be able to come from because you have no option. It's a monopoly um, of, of force. So um, voice and exit, um, I think, applies to this because when we talk about democracy, we're, we're really talking about a concept of people being able to, to, to vote uh, or have a, a choice in the decisions that are made, quote, I suppose, on their behalf. Or, uh, and and all those that participate, and then I'll leave it at that. And and uh, on the voice and exit, and how blockchain. I'll talk, come back to and talk about how 
blockchain can revolutionize how we individually can can come together in different ways other than the traditional uh, territorial ways and, and and actually allow people to come together based upon shared ideas um, in a decentralized manner which i think um uh we weren't talking about it yet. We were talking about that before the podcast, well. But Ryan found a great article on NFTs uh, being applied to ideas on on the blockchain. That's allowing people access instead of the traditional gatekeeping of of journal articles and um, having to go through a certain uh, small, um, you know, mechanism in order to be heard or have your 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 voice or ideas published. Uh, having a decentralized way where people can put innovative ideas out on a blockchain and allow others access to build upon that and to view it. So um, that's that's a decentralizing, flattening, democratizing um, aspect of, of the flow of ideas. And I think when we talk about democracy, uh, I, I, I feel it's, you know, it's how we we coordinate and form a social contract, so to speak, how we contract decision making on on certain issues and i think um at some level blockchain can really revolutionize this because if we look at the current systems of legislature and the senate and um what all the different branches the executive many of these systems were created at a time where there was the pony express before cell phones before email existed right and now we're talking about a technology that really uh, um, really makes some of these uh, systems are, are archaic and inefficient when you look at the technology that we have alongside it right because where you have to go back in time and say oh, okay well uh, back then, when democracy was a, a public good, you had most of the population wasn't literate, and and it was in everyone's best interest to have some uh, literate, uh, small uh, elite class make decisions on the, on the on the behalf of others. But right now, um, with with how um, educated and, and and how learned and how learned and the population is and the access to information that people have it, it almost uh makes more sense for people to have more control over their own lives and the decisions that are made on a day-to-day -day. not not to like say oh i have to pick someone who who knows what lifestyle they've ever to make decisions on my behalf it almost makes it it's like what decision needs to be made i can i can click a box right here right now you know what's the what what's the decision you know uh, but uh, that's that's how i feel um democracy could be applied to to blockchain by allowing people to maybe exit systems that they feel are inefficient in and creating new systems based upon common thought common ideas and um yeah i'm gonna let ryan take over because I, I can go on a whole nother tangent on on how it will work but real quick to reiterate, so you're saying that because we're currently locked in a system that, you know, in the United States at least, uh, that we call democracy, it's it's actually a form of enslavement and that we need, that we can use blockchain technology to allow us to live actually more democratic or, or free, I don't want to use the term, more free or um, informed decision-making lives. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I'm, I mean I'm not saying that uh, we this system is enslavement. I mean, I, it, you know, it's like when you have cars coming up next to horse and buggies, then then maybe horse and buggies is a limiting uh, mechanism compared to the highway and the car that's coming up next to you. 
So um, right now, I, you know, if we look at what blockchain offers us as a technology for a population that is in a different, uh, we have different access to information. It's no longer library card catalogs uh, with a population that is is hardly literate. Uh, now it's it's internet, it's 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 literature, books, how-to videos. Uh, for an ever increasing knowledgeable population. So um, it, it, it's not, when I say uh, enslaved, I don't mean it in some literal attack on uh, uh, the system we have is perfect and beautiful and is given to us for what, for the technology that came before. But when you look at the, what is offered by blockchain uh, to be stuck in that is, is limiting. And then to not be able to exit is a, is an enslaving concept. Right. But, but in theory uh, or in practice, in reality, uh, look at how jurisdiction actually exists. Reality is it's not territorial. It's, it's actually all uh, contractual and legal before it's territorial. The territorial concept is applied over a legal, uh, under a legal framework, right? That's, that's actually how it does work. And you even have uh, multiple jurisdictions in reality of different counties, different parishes, different states, different nations. Even within states, you have embassies and diplomats and ambassadors that are nations unto themselves. So, uh, or, or Amish uh, uh, religious um, areas that are uh, their own uh, territories considered. So um, the concept of decentralized law kind of are, already exists, but this, I think blockchain allows people to come together instead of you having to sail across an ocean or travel across thousands of miles of territory to, to, to live and, and to coordinate with like-minded people now, we can create a, a, a chain, a blockchain, a network through shared ideas. Um, and I think that's where I, we could see the, the, democratize, the democratization or the decentralizing flattening out uh, potential of, of blockchain is creating uh, actual social contracts that people are actively participating in. Um, not tacit, but express, express, um, engagement in a social contract that you can participate in that serves your uh, beliefs that's and, and of those around you that's relevant. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Ryan, um, let me know what you think about that. I largely agree with, with what Lucas is saying. I have different um, ways of emphasizing different parts of it. And I, I might use words in a different way, but but we're coming to the same, we're, we're very close to each other, but it might not appear that way sometimes. But I think the more we talk, the closer it gets, right? So let me, I guess I'll go off on, start from the beginning. Um, when I hear, when I think about democracy, I obviously, I also think about, you know, courts and, and, and laws and legislatures and representatives and electoral processes and all the things that, that are, that are common to that. But I also try to, and I always think of it in, in a context though, and, and it's embedded in liberal, and liberalism, right? And liberalism is a, is a is a is a form of of society that that has that is decentralized and and is polycentric. So there's multiple centers. You got you have you have the state, but then there's civil society, which is made up of houses of worship or homeowners associations and companies and voluntary uh, associations and the Rotary Club and you know every and everything in between. And, and then there's all these different. So basically, there's this massive uh, social system with all these different centers, whether it's in religion or in or in business or in or in politics, 
and they all are divided up. And in my mind, democracy is all of it. It's 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 all people. It's people in, in in being involved in these various different nodes or centers, <clears throat> and interacting and, and having conversation, participating, in in and 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 kind of discovering what what the policy should be. Now, I don't think of it purely that way. Of course, there are there are top down hierarchical elements involved. I mean, there's and that's that goes without saying. Um, so I, I, but I'm, I look at it more in a broad, in a broader way as opposed as democracy, as opposed to monarchy, right. As it's clearly decentralized. And I, so I think of thing, I tend to think of things in processes. So what, where, where are we, where have we been where are we going? And, and so I, instead of thinking of democracy as a final state or, or as something that exists in a, uh, in a final form or as a certain thing right now, I like to think of it more as, well, how, how can we, this system evolve and change and what, and what role? And then, so that brings up blockchain, obviously, well, what, what role does blockchain have? And, um, and I, and Lucas hits on it, I think real well. I mean, it's, it's opening up opportunities for us to network and, and coordinate together and replace or, or, or even augment uh, what the state does and what what other elements in, in in civil society do, right? It's a whole nother layer. It's a whole new layer of interaction and and organization that's coming up. And what's interesting about it is it's 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 flattening. It's it, there's no gatekeepers. It's uh, anybody who wants to you know get a wallet, buy an N NFT, join a mutual aid group, sign a, a smart contract. You can you know anybody. It's open to anybody. There's no gatekeeping. And whatever, you, and if you have an idea for an organ, for a mutual aid organization that you think is not available that no one else has come up with, you can do that and innovate and create the society that you want to see. So, in that sense, I think my starting point is maybe somewhat different from Lucas's, but our end points look very similar. We're both talking about voice and exit, right? Exiting uh, systems that are that are not serving us or or that aren't perfectly serving us as well as they could, and creating. On, uh, in, in the blockchain world, an alternative, and whether or not that's it's democracy or or it's something different, or whether it's a, just a next a democracy 2.0, that you know that's that's an interesting discussion. I I don't really I in the past I would I felt very in the pet in the past I had a much stronger separation maybe a couple of years ago between the state and the and the private sector in my mind I, I separated these things really strictly in a strict sense. One was coercive, one was voluntary. And over time, I've, I've uh, come to see the, that there's a lot more gray area. There's a lot more uh, politics in, in the business world than whether it's intellectual property or licensing or the way the tax codes are set up or the way they inherit it or the, or the way property was acquired in the past or legitimately and passed down, right? And then, and, or fill in the blank. And then there's also a lot more competition in economics and voluntary and spontaneous order in politics than what than what I believed. So I kind of see these things as in, as more embedded within within each other now, and co-determining each other instead of so separated. So that's so that's kind of why I don't see blockchain as a revolution away from democracy as much as I see it as a revolution within democracy. If that if that clarifies things a little bit, right, Ryan, I agree with you entirely. I think that um, the issue, if you go back to let's say Athenian democracy, where all citizens were expected to vote and expected to serve their government if necessary, and the people governed and majority ruled, but then as the city states of Athens grew, uh, people had to elect representatives uh, to to voice their notions. I think the thing blockchain succeeds. 
uh, in doing is upgrading democracy uh, to become more scalable so that we can, this, this ideal, this, um, yeah, this ideal of democracy can be fulfilled on, on a global basis um, and in real time. And that's something, uh, if anyone else uh, wants to touch on this uh, definition of democracy first, uh, please do so. But I think we should start to migrate into the, the discussion around how blockchain is um, allowing decision makers and, and politicians, maybe not so much politicians anymore, but at least uh, in citizens and uh, decision makers, how it's allowing them to you know, become uh, or, or pivot into a more democratic society and how it's uh, relieving the, the great knowledge burden uh, on these politicians and decision makers. Well, I, I can I know I have a lot to say about the knowledge issue. I'll leave the other part of it to Lucas. Um, so we like to talk about, I mean, the name of this is specific knowledge. So we do have a, a loyalty to Hayek and, and his, um, his appreciation for distributed knowledge and how the, just the nature of knowledge, how it's separated across people and it's divided and, and how not everybody we none of us has all the knowledge we need to make to, to be able to successfully act in the world we so we have to acquire it until we can coordinate our actions and and uh so the, the hayekian question is always how do we acquire the knowledge what are the what are the institutions what are the the processes or what are the what's the environment that is most suitable to people learning and acquiring the knowledge they need and making use of it that's kind of the hayekian question right and it's typically been asked about uh, businesses and and um, it's been asked about you know how do how do how do companies make decisions how do and they and Hayek would explain what's prices prices have embedded knowledge in them and then they, it gives them a shorthand I can it's a knowledge surrogate is what the term is well that same issue and they've and there's been a lot of study about that how how that works in the economy well the same issue can be asked about in politics right how does the how does the the how does the dictator, how does the president, how does the senator, whoever the, per, whoever the decision maker is, how does he know or she know what the optimum plan is? And that's, and that's, a, and that's a question much more complicated than the business, the business question of which products to produce or which attribute to, to, uh, to uh, enhance or advertise or to, 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 to uh, what, what, the, what mix of attributes the good should have to satisfy consumers. That's a more narrow question. But when you're talking about a policy question that has to meet some abstract uh, goals, whether it's maximizing GDP or, or um, you know, fill in the blank, right? Then you're dealing with questions that have implications for the entire society and everybody involved. And you can't, it's going to be very difficult to know how, <clears throat> how the entire society is going to be impacted by a change that's at a policy level, then it is, it's much more difficult, much more, there's many more questions to be answered than it is if you're a businessman and you're just trying to figure out what mix of um, attributes your good needs to have to satisfy some sliver of the market. That's much more simple to figure out. So the knowledge questions that Hayek raises, I think, are much more fascinating when they're applied to politics and questions of, of de democratic decision making. So that brings us to what you were saying. Uh, blockchain and how that what 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 role does that play in in these in these issues and clearly uh, one of them that jumps to my mind is obviously is dealing with money and the proper supply the proper interest rate um, all all these monetary policy questions they they no longer have to have an answer because we can program a money that is stable and that or we can program a money that's not stable we can program it however we want but we can essentially create a rules-based monetary order that's that's immune from being um arbitrarily 
change there's policy you know policy driven right we can we can create a, a money that's essentially a um a public good that doesn't rely on the wise counsel or control of any technocrats it, it can be programmed into the code right and any change would be have to re- require consensus a majority and then you consensus. Need consensus yes right? so you can essentially uh reduce the knowledge burden on monetary planners just by adopting a blockchain-based currency and you can take that same answer and you can look at uh the welfare state you can look at unemployment insurance you could look at the entire the entire scope of what is done to help people with under poverty and um, with job loss or with uh, food, food shortages, you can have all those, those services arranged and contracted under mutual aid groups. Uh, and you can do that on the blockchain such that you prove, you have to prove who you are. There can be an identity layer. You have to uh, meet, you have to agree to a certain contract. So, you know, you, obviously you couldn't, you probably wouldn't have a, uh, uh, an unemployment benefit if you, if you quit your job yourself you'd have you'd have to be some kind of adverse situation that happened to you so you could program all that into the contract and and verify and have systems of verification and this would get rid of the need for all the administrative uh, expenditure and waste that we associate with those programs and you could increase the benefits per person by automating it and that's just so those are just two examples of how you could reduce the knowledge burden on on politicians using blockchain I dig it. I love what you're saying. I'm, I'm, uh, I, you know, I, and I, and I uh, agree with the gray area between, um, the, um, private sector and the public sector idea. I don't have this black and white dichotomy view. Um, so, um, for me, when we go back to blockchain as, as, uh, as a solution, and and how it's going to relieve uh this burden you know uh, i i i guess i see it as more than i like i like how you brought it to money i like how you brought it to money but it's an immutable contract that's on a distributed ledger worldwide and for me that's how it offers also more than money because when we talk about um jurisdictions or when we talk about um um changing contracts and and how how we organize or how we come together on views in the past people were limited to how contracts were even are even stored or or filed where where do you go to file a contract how do you even know it's even recognized how do other people go to find that document and where it's recorded if it's been accepted and recorded so with blockchain technology we're allowing just like money can be transparent what we're allowing for is we're allowing for society to be built on open and transparent doctrines and terms that are that are on uh, public and immutable ledgers that are recognized, distributed worldwide. It, it allows that's for same thing for identity or whatever people are starting to put on the blockchain. Now you've got something that can be recognized or can can be verified on uh, on a secure uh blockchain on a secure tech that's more secure than any centralized servers we've had in the past um that so uh i i don't want to go off on the on a tangent uh, even further but for me it's just understanding how 
blockchain can can actually be applied as a, as a viable solution in different ways and like you said it is money it's it's a it's this transparent ledger and that's also how how people can form contracts and and create mutual aid groups or or other voluntary institutions or, or new institutions through these social contracts through the use of blockchain right yeah spot on and I think it would be um, helpful to to outline some of the other industries besides just maybe decentralized banking or, or um, currency uh, or, or politics that blockchain technology has the implications for, uh, to, to um, I won't say destructively innovate, uh, but enhance or upgrade uh, when it comes to our current social order, uh, if that has to do with hierarchy or or democracy. I think it would be important to talk about, you know, and it was touched on, I think, a little bit, uh, healthcare uh, or real estate or music royalties, um, insurance, advertising, personal identity, all these things. And, and if any of those, uh, you know, sparked anything in, in your guys' mind, you know, let's talk about it. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, the first thing that, hop, that pops into my mind is the importance of identity, the ability to... I mean, that's where NFTs look like they could be, they have that potential to shine as well. Non-fungible tokens. Uh, the, the ultimate non-fungible thing is your identity, right? And uh, it's not going to be able to be transformed in, into anything else. It's it's you. If it's not you, then it's not you and it's not your identity. So it's it's de definitely uh, non-fungible. So that seems to be a perfect, perfect avenue for NFTs to go in. And along with that, it opens up the door to securing uh, titles to ownership. So you know, like deeds to homes, the other titles to property, cars, uh, it, it's a straightforward, once you have identity, why not tie your, rec your records of ownership to that, right? That seems to be straightforward. So, and uh, so I think NFTs are promising. The other avenue that NFTs look to be promising, and you didn't mention it, but um, it's, it, it's, it's, and we're going to probably go into this deeper later, but I think it could be uh, crucial or and instrumental in in moving this, the process of scientific discovery into a new direction. Uh, right now there's, and it's been this way for a long time, but academic, academic uh, institutions are, serve as gatekeepers in a sense. And the journals aren't, aren't as easy to be published in if, if you're not, if you're outside of the norm of what that particular uh, journal or, or publication likes to, likes to what their line is or what their, what their most, uh, senior, um, you know, referees, what their, what their beliefs and published uh, research says, if you go against that, if you're not already in the club of being a known person, a uh, name, then you're, you're, you're very likely, it's hard to break in. Let's just put it that way to sum it up. It's not easy. It's not an easy world to break into. And it's not always merit driven. Some of it can be politics. Some of it can be all, you know, bias. And, and, and a lot of that gets snug, smuggled in. And it's so bad that people are actually creating fake articles and getting them published as jokes if you want to research that there's a lot of joke articles that people publish in <clears throat> just to, to see if they if they can get them in there right so and the other problem with this is that a lot of people uh, a lot of articles and studies are are focused on chasing statistical significance so they'll, they'll game the 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 statistics to to make it seem to make to make the p-values look right and to make the the math uh say that this is significant but it might not be interesting or novel or scientifically useful. It could just be uh, make work, right? And okay, you got published and, and sure. But so there's a signal to noise ratio is what I'm getting at here. There's a lot of noise and the, and the signal is, is diminished, can be diminished by the noise. So 
NFTs are bringing up, and there's an article we can share on this if, later on, but there's a, a potential for NFTs to be used to attribute ideas and experiments and tests and research to individual people. It's non-fungible. You, so you could have, you'd have a claim to this specific thing, right? You'd be attributed to it. And, and research and experiments can, can go from there. And, we, and there's a whole, it's opening up a world for, for democratizing science is where I'm getting at. And it also sounds like it's um, setting up new incentives to create better science, if that's what I'm understanding. I would think so, yes. Yes, because you're, because now it's, it seems like it's more about performance. How, does, how novel is the idea? How does it do? How does it perform? And if it performs well, then it'll be, it'll be successful, right? So it, it, to me, it seems like it's, it's less of an opportunity for gatekeeping and, and more of a, a, pure, a pure kind of approach to, to the process of discovery, which it should be. Yeah, and, and I love that. And, and the thing I love is that you know, we, we, start in, we start with good intentions and good theories, and, and our, our case for democracy is, is a very good example here. And the, the systems that were built, um, I, I don't want to say to oppose it directly, but oppose it within uh, and, and get through the cracks and, and um, you know, lead to different types of corruption and, and whatever – those systems have now led us to one incentivize us. I mean, Bitcoin was invented in 2008 because of corruption politically mm -hmm. and in corporately. Um, yep. Exactly. So I love how this, um, we started with great idea uh, in theory, in practice, it didn't quite work out, but the thing that the practice and the corruption that uh, occurred in the practice actually led us back to um, a, a much better solution that is more scalable and, and uh, has better incentive structures. Well said. I love that. And I also love going back to Hayek and going back to our, our influences and, and how it um, really, um, I mean, money, the, that's the institution. We got, I mean, it can't ignore the uh, talking about these other uh, areas. Blockchain can have an impact. I, I, I like delving in, in, into that potential, but uh, the, one of the, the largest institution that brings people together, the pricing mechanism, we talk about how pricing uh, carries with it so much knowledge that you could never even explore. It never even explained uh, about what's going on in the world that that helps people communicate value uh, between each other, and and so when it comes back to the institution of money and how different cryptocurrencies resolve, uh, cr create solutions to problems I guess we didn't even know existed prior to this technology is fair to say. So it's definitely not pointing the finger. We're grateful for the, the shoulders that we stand on to, to have this technology exist the manner it does. But if we were to just think for one second, well, what are all those industries that that in the in money that this disrupts? I mean, think about counterfeit. Think about all of the economic loss to counterfeit. All of the uh, agencies out there devoted to finding counterfeit. You know, um, and we can go down the list of how many intermediaries and jobs are created to maintain this current fragile uh the the legacy monetary system so when we talk about the um uh one of the most uh democratizing and and equalizing uh and, and relieving the burden of policymakers like ryan was saying it's like well it's really coming back to uh blockchain money and cryptocurrency the revolution that this has because how is it 
an impossible feat to try to maintain the best interest rate for a population or the best who is the the man behind the curtain of the wizard of oz to determine how what the supply flow of money should be at any given point in time and how we should measure the cpi and what basket of goods and how we should change the weights from this quarter to that i mean it, it it's so precarious and so nonsensical it, 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 it it's such it's such a dance in futility that uh, it's it's almost like thank thankfully we can look at blockchain as an actual logical, consistent, and viable solution to something that we were grasping at in in the dark before, and now we can see with a transparent light something that is more efficient and a, a better tool. But but um, you know I'm I'm really patient you know when it comes to. That how how long these things can take and what the changes are going to look like. You know, admittedly, I'm open to seeing where people take this because how many? What do you guys think? I'm going to throw it back at you on the original. Uh, we you talked about this was born out of corruption and the bailouts. Uh, however. A lot of cryptocurrency and what's taken it by storm is not so much a movement and 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 a liberating uh, from a corrupt monetary system, but more of a very profitable uh, market to get into, like the new hot uh, digital stock market. A lot of people that I see coming into it, um, um, there's not a, a requirement for an understanding of the liberating potential in order to enjoy the benefits of its of its rapid volatile growth. Ryan, I'll let I'll yeah. let you take that one. My first. thoughts. Uh, well, you know, as far as the timeline goes, I I'm I'm of two minds on that. I kind of feel like a lot of it's already happened, and to a degree, like the change is already underway and it's ha- and it's happening and it's happened already. In like Lucas is saying, El Salvador is an example. But then the other part of me thinks that there's also a co-opting effect that's playing out too, right? Where the, where the institutions of the old institutions, the hierarchical institutions are somewhat getting involved themselves and, and, and going to adopt it too, and maybe try to co-opt it. So I feel like how this all plays out, whether or not it truly becomes a liberating thing, I think that's a foregone conclusion at will, because I think people strive to be free. And they'll use whatever tools are at their hands at the event that are available at, at hand to do that. So I ultimately am, am optimistic, but I don't think that the, the technology will be the reason I think it'll come from within us. And then the technology will just be a tool. And we're, we're going to be grasping for a lot of tools to get to become freer as time goes on to solve these problems. But I, I think it's already kind of working its magic it's in changing how we think about things, what role, what, how, how important is it to have a monetary central planner and and what role do these people have in telling us that we can't play with these new tools and these new toys and that they have and that they have we have to get permission from them like all these things are becoming questioned in the culture and i and we have a, a mentality where where people tend to have they're very we're very much in, a, in an individualistic period where i don't think the group sync is holding as well as it used to, right? And and that and that's a good thing in some ways and a bad thing in others, I guess. And that could be a discussion for another time. But um, ultimately, I don't. I think that the, the moment the moment the shit the temperature in the in the world is changing quickly, and I think blockchain is a big part of it. And I don't, so I feel like it's already underway. And do you think, like Lucas asked, that um, a large part of it is because it is such a profitable uh, emerging market? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's so big, it's so profitable that it's 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 becoming another part of capitalism 
the big C capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. Um, yeah. And, and Lucas, to your point as well. Yeah. I, I, I do think that's a large part of it. I think there are two parts of it. Um, I think there are technologies, um, if I had to drop uh, uh, one right now, I think VeChain is one supply chain coordination uh, that is just incredibly revolutionary. And I don't think you know. Yes, there are people who are who are financially excited about it and invest in it, and um, you know, try and get other people to invest in it for that reason uh, of becoming more wealthy. But um, I think there's two layers to it. I think there is that layer of the people who who just want to make money, and I think there's the layer of people who are really just here. Wow, I. I want to support that technology. Um, I think I'm one of those people uh, personally. Uh, this this space excites me and, and as I work in it and and meet new people in this space, um, I think the profiteering uh, aspect really falls away for me and I just get far more exciting about something that's uh, much bigger than myself. And, and Ryan, I know you spoke about individualism, but um, and I don't know how to define it yet, but there is a type of group think uh, when it comes to the innovation of this technology uh, that maybe is starting to take hold uh, because, you know, you have these meme coins that, you know, people are all just no technology behind them. They're, they're for, for the profit making. Um, so maybe we're transitioning from that to the second layer uh, of appreciation of this technology. And, um, and I don't think it takes long personally. Um, we, we just uh, exited a pandemic. Uh, if you look in history, exiting pandemic times, uh, you have, crazy innovations. Uh, the printing press is, is one uh, that came after um, the, the Black Plague. You have uh, the one after 1916. You had um, more, more females in industry. Uh, just it's, it, these big innovative steps do occur post-pandemic uh, worlds or societies um, and times. And I think that uh, maybe this technology is embraced uh, partly because of that uh, and maybe because people are just um, tired of sitting inside and want to go invent something. I, I don't. I don't quite know, but uh, I think we're on the right track. Indeed, yeah. I mean, the pandemic I think definitely escalated how many, how much time people had to spend. You know, on the computer changed, right? And at home changed, and the need to interact, to buy things online, and to look and to try to make a career online. All of this was became dialed up big time. It was there, but it really got dialed up during the pandemic. And I, I think I agree with you. It's, it's, it's definitely escalating the, the adoption process. Awesome. Well, guys, hey, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, again, looking forward to uh, next week and um, hopefully into all of time uh, continuing this. Um, any ideas for next week's podcast you want to shout out right now? Or, or should we uh, decide that? Uh, a little bit later in the week. We so that we're have a democratic vote. Okay, I agree. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, Lucas, Ryan, it's always a pleasure. Um, speak to you soon. Thank you, brother. Thank you.